This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you five messages Alan Redpath presented on the Christian life at MBI Founders Week Bible Conference 1969 and 1982. Alan Redpath was a British evangelist, author, and former pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago during the 1950s. Now, here is Alan Redpath on Today in the Word radio. Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to read the first 14, 13 verses of this chapter. Romans 8, 1 to 13. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son, and in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the spirit but after the flesh. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Just a word of prayer together. 
Dear Lord, again we echo in, your, in our hearts what we've already prayed, that what's wrong in the world is what's wrong in us. Lord, show us what's wrong and show us how it may be right. Show us that only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the message of full salvation and redemption through his blood and life by his spirit, we have the only answer. Lord, may this message be spread abroad that Jesus saves and saves completely. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Speak just now some message to meet my need which thou only dost know. Speak now through thy holy word and make me see some wonderful truth thou hast to show to me. For Jesus' sake, amen. Some years ago, I had the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the English Keswick Convention alongside Dr. Culbertson and others. That year, Dr. Culbertson brought to us a series of messages, Bible studies, on the theme, God's Provision for Holy Living. I believe that series was subsequently published in book form. I don't want to borrow his material, but I do want this morning to borrow his title. And that is the subject for our opening session of today. God's provision for holy living. And uh, this is a subject which should be of priority concern to all of us here this morning. And Romans 8, 1 to 13 provides the principle and the answer to a victorious Christian life. I want to state to you quite briefly emphatically, three great principles. The first one, the Holy Spirit conveys a new nature to the Christian. The modern paraphrase, good news for modern men, puts Romans 8 verse 2 this way, the law of the Spirit which brings us life in union with Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. A new nature conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit, life in union with Christ Jesus. Second Peter 1.4 says we are made partakers of the divine nature. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you the hope of glory. Ephesians 4, talking of putting off the old man with his deeds, then says in verse 24, put on the new man. Now, the new man is not the old man polished up, refined, made religious, Christianized, dry cleaned and pressed, improved, or even regenerate. We receive this new nature at the moment of our conversion. It is then that the Holy Spirit comes to take up his abode 
his permanent abode in all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that we have all been baptized by the one Spirit into the body of Christ. We've all been made to drink into the one Spirit. Now, my brethren and sisters, that is the church. And let's not tear it apart. doesn't matter about our labels, whether it's brethren with a capital B, or Episcopal, or Presbyterian, or Methodist, or Baptist, or anything else. This is the church with sharing together life in the Holy Spirit. And until I get to heaven, I will stand for the principle that I want in this life to have fellowship with all who are on the same wavelength, all who share the same life. And I don't care a scrap what a man's label is. If he's been baptized by the same Spirit into the body of Christ, he's my brother. And I owe him my love. And with respect, he owes me his too. This is the church. And this is the miracle of bringing to us a new nature at the moment of our new birth. So the Holy Spirit becomes our second and new nature. Now, because he is God, he cannot sin. And given freedom of action in the arena of our hearts, he will produce nothing but good fruit. He cannot sin. I want you all to underline that in your thinking. Each one of us have within us a nature implanted at our new birth which is incapable of sinning. Have you ever had any problems with 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9? I wonder, could I take just a second to, to read it again to you? 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, have you seen some commentaries and possibly heard some preachers who say what this verse really means is that when you're born again, you do not continue in the practice of sinning. But the verse doesn't say that. Nor, I believe, can the original language of this verse be understood to mean it. It just means what it says. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Who is born of God? The life of Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit. And he doth not commit sin. For his seed, his seed, the seed of God, remaineth in him. And he, he cannot sin because he is born into our hearts of God. So we've received a nature which cannot sin. Well, you may, you may disagree with my interpretation of 1 John 3, 9. It's all right. We'll leave it till we get to heaven. Don't get angry with me now. And when we get there, 
you'll just come up to say, well, after all, you were right. <clears throat> now, it is, this, it is this nature of God, this seed of God, born in us by the Holy Spirit, which cannot sin, and which becomes the means of victory in the Christian life. So our first proposition this morning is that each one of us receives a new nature when we are born again, a new nature which cannot sin. My second proposition, the old nature continues to exist in the regenerate heart. The old nature, which can do nothing but sin, continues to exist in the regenerate heart. And the Christian will keep it right to the end of his journey. The old nature, which in Romans 8 is called the flesh. This chapter, the most thrilling in the New Testament, the charter of Christian liberty, the arena of the Christian battle and victory, this chapter underlines, you notice, the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. No less than 12 times in Romans 8, verses 1 to 13, 12 times is the reference to the flesh and 12 times a reference to the spirit. Now, what is the flesh? It is not simply that which we consider bad in us. It is not simply this uh, uh, five foot nine, six feet, six feet two of physical body. It is much more than that. It is our whole being, our whole nature, all that we are apart from Jesus. Spell the word flesh backwards and miss off the H and you have self, all that I am apart from the grace of God. And Paul declares about it in Romans 7 and verse 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So the new man is Christ in us by the Spirit. The old man is self, all that I am, apart from Jesus. And the flesh, this old nature, is sold to sin. Romans seven fourteen, I am carnal, sold under sin. And, please note, this situation is beyond cure. It is unchanged in the life of the Christian. Verse 7 of Romans 8 says this, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The flesh will always offer unyielding opposition to the spirit. It refuses to cooperate. It hates being religious, it hates to pray, it hates to read the Bible, it hates to go to church, it hates to witness, and it hates to preach. And God doesn't seek to improve it, and to polish it up, and refine it, 
And we spend years trying to improve the flesh and make it better and make it good and ultimately end in the hands of a psychiatrist or end by drinking masses of coffee and taking lots of tranquilizers in a vain attempt to improve. Listen, God is not in the self-improvement program. He is in the Christ replacement program. He's concerned about replacing myself with himself. And so therefore God can only do one thing with the flesh. Crucify it. Slay it. Kill it. And in a minute we shall see, I hope, how he does that. Now it is possible for a Christian to live after the flesh. If you look down at verse 12, again I read from this paraphrase, good news to modern man, it says this, So then, my brothers, we have an obligation, but not to live as our human nature wants to. For if you live according to your human nature, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you kill your sinful actions, you will live. And that simply says to me this, and listen, this deals with our, our eternal security. I believe in it, and I believe all of you do. But this tells me this, that those who willingly and knowingly continue to live after the flesh simply betray the fact that they have never been born again. I quote from that great preacher of a former generation, C.H. Spurgeon, who says, an unholy life is the evidence of an unchanged heart. And an unchanged heart is an evidence of an unsaved soul. What is the value, says C.H. Spurgeon, what is the value of the grace which we claim to receive, which leaves us exactly the same as we were before we received it? Such grace is invalid in terms of New Testament Christianity. So speaks a great Baptist preacher of former years. And in my heart, I find myself giving a sense of awful, in a sense reluctant and yet authoritative, amen. Because I know that unless I have a belief which has transformed my behavior, I'm not saved. Because it isn't my belief that saves me, it's the one in whom I believe. And he in me must change my behavior. So therefore my second proposition is this. The old self continues to exist unchanged, unaltered, in the regenerate heart. Now our third proposition. The Holy Spirit within us has power to overcome the flesh. 
Let me just repeat these for emphasis and clarity. When I'm born again, I receive a new nature which cannot possibly sin. God, the Holy Spirit. Two, the old self remains unaltered in me until my dying day. And my old self, left to its own, can do nothing but sin. My final proposition this morning... The Holy Spirit within me, and he alone, has power to overcome the flesh. Romans 8, 2. The law of the Spirit of life, which brings us life in union with Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the basis of this victory was laid for us at Calvary. And the Holy Spirit merely fulfills in us what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. That's why he has come to live in us, to make real every moment of every day everything that Christ did for me at Calvary. And there at the cross, he not only bore away my sins, the things that I did that are wrong, but he also took with him at the cross my old self and slew it. By his obedience and by his holy life, he had triumphed over the flesh. Look at the third verse of Romans 8.3. Again I read from Good News to Modern Man. What the law could not do because human nature was weak, God did. He condemned sin in human nature by sending his own son who came with a nature like man's sinful nature to do away with sin. So Jesus, by his obedience, by his refusal to act independently of God, which is the basic, the basic principle of sin, of human nature, demanding its own independence, Jesus took to Calvary a life that had refused to live on that principle and in dying slew it condemned that kind of sin, the root of all sin, in his death at Calvary. But you see, that crucifixion which is carried out in principle is only realized in experience day by day by the Holy Spirit working in us in answer to our faith and to our yielding and to our obedience. It is through the Spirit that we keep in subjection the deeds of the flesh. And if I'm not on my guard, that old nature which is so much alive in me, and in every one of us, will launch a massive counterattack. After 40 years of Christian living, I'm no different a person from what I was 
when I was converted. I'm only worse, that's all. And it's not dramatic, it's only truth. To say that today, after this session is over, there's no sin imaginable which I am not capable of committing but for the grace of God and for the life of Christ in me. The only good thing about me is Jesus. And the only good thing about any of us is Christ. And yet the amazing thing is that after preaching on a theme like this, people come up and say, or if they don't come up to me, I hear them talking, that man believes in sinless perfection. Rubbish. I don't believe in it because the Bible doesn't teach it. What I believe in is sinful corruption. That there's nothing good about any of us. And the pressures of Christian life are caused by the refusal to admit that and the determination to strive to get our own victory. When Jesus all the time has given to us the victory. But uh, if I don't recognize that principle, this old nature in me will launch 40 years after my conversion a massive counterattack and I shall be absolutely humiliated before this day is out by a terrible defeat of which I'm ashamed. I tell you, my friend, I live every day of my life in constant fear lest at any time I should, I should take myself out voluntarily from resting in Christ, from trusting in Christ and start to do it myself. The moment I try to get my own victory, I head for disaster. And if left to myself, I'm lost. But if I yield to Holy Spirit control, every attack of the old nature, he copes with it. It's up to him, not me. So you see, when the Holy Spirit is given freedom, he will work just as forcefully and permanently as the old nature worked before God came to live in me. As it was natural for me to sin then, so it will be natural for him to give me victory now. That's why Charles Wesley used to sing, take away the bent to sinning. Don't only forgive me for what I've done, but Lord, deliver me from what I am and straighten me out and clean me up and take away the bent, the twist, the bias towards sin and make me a new man in Christ. You see... I hold in my hand a pen. When I take it into my hand, the nature of that pen and uh, the weight of that pen are unaltered. And I hold it there tight. If I release my hold on that pen, the law of gravity will cause it to fall on the platform and break. That might be a good way of getting hundreds of new pens because in the kindness of your heart you'd probably offer me one. But I hold it tight and as long as I hold it tight the law of life in my hand overcomes the law of gravity. That pen 
isn't struggling to get hold of me. Ah, no, but I've got hold of it. This pen isn't fighting away there to keep there. It's just still a conflict. And its nature and weight are unaltered. But I hold it tight in my hand. And because of that, there's a law of life in my hand that won't let it go. And then it can't fall and overcomes the law of gravity. Now you see, when I receive Jesus, my old nature remains unchanged. Sin has the same terrific hold upon it. And if left to myself, sin, even now, would irresistibly attract me. But the power of the Holy Spirit has come and taken possession and I don't struggle to hold him. He's got tight hold of me. And in any situation every day, he holds me fast. And his hold on me overcomes the bias to sin. But uh, the working of his power is in direct proportion to my submission to his will. And this is the point of fighting the battle. Dr. Alan Fleece of Columbia Bible College, at least uh, president there for many years, once told a very telling illustration, I thought, which I'll give to you, about imagining the congregation to be in a court. And uh, there was a prisoner on trial for murder. And he was assuming that capital punishment was in force. And after considering all the evidence, the jury came up with a verdict. The man was guilty. So what does the judge do? Does he shoot him? No. Because if he did that, he'd be guilty of murder. He pronounces the sentence. He says, you're worthy of death. And then having pronounced the sentence, he hands him over to the executioner, who's responsible for carrying it out. Now you see, when things hit me, and temptation comes at me, and this old sinful nature seeks to assert itself, it's wonderful that in the midst of the battle, in the thick of the fight, I can say, now Lord, this belongs to the old life. Between me and this, there's a cross on which Jesus died. This is no part of the life of Christian. Lord, I assent that this should be slain. Thank you, Lord. And at that moment, in answer to my assent, I hand over the responsibility to the Holy Spirit and he carries out the execution. See? And when Satan comes at you with thoughts at which you're ashamed, and sinful thoughts are not sin, that's how the devil gets at us. With thoughts, eye gate, ear gate. And he packs them into our mind. And when they're coming and overwhelming us, when the enemy comes in like a flood, Lord Jesus, I consent that they should die. And immediately the Holy Spirit says it. But everything depends on your consent. Ah, that's a battle. Do I want salvation more than I want sin? Do I want deliverance or do I want sin? 
at that moment when Satan is putting on full pressure, am I crying out to God, Oh Lord, this doesn't belong to me. It's the old life. Slay it. Or am I saying, Well, I quite enjoy it still. I think I'll indulge it. And immediately I go down. Take away the love of sinning, Alpha and Omega B. You know, there are some people who think that this old self ceases to exist and every root of it has been eradicated at the moment of our conversion. If that was true, Romans 8 wouldn't be in your Bible. There's no scriptural authority for it. The word for crucifixion of self is really render inoperative. We are dead to sin in Christ, but sin is never dead to me. And our life must grow constantly into the stature of the fullness of Christ. And the Holy Spirit must increasingly fill my life. Up to the very end of the journey, there'll be more victories to win. Somebody once told me, when you get older, you'll find the Christian life easier. I don't find it easier. I find it harder. In fact, I find it impossible. Absolutely impossible. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be gone and lost or hopeless in a minute. Oh, but then you see, he's there every moment of every day. My, when I flew up from Fort Lauderdale, or where was it, Tampa, on, on Monday morning, I got into one of these jets. I'm always very prayerful on those occasions and very thankful to get out of them. And as, uh, as the thing roared along the runway, just about as it was time to take off, I said, Now, Lord, now, Lord, I'm trusting you. And up it went. Oh, not because anything I did, but listen, listen. Oh, at its speed of about 150 knots, the law of aerodynamics took over. And it began to soar up into the sky until it had reached 30,000 feet. <sighs> the law of gravity still existed. I'd have known about that if the engine had failed. But because that aeroplane had power, thrust, it overcame the law of gravity and it soared into the sky. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin because his law in me overcomes the law of sin and death. Oh, hallelujah. I can't resist it. I don't know how you can sit there. Perhaps you don't take it in. But, uh, or perhaps it's too respectable to say hallelujah, I don't know. But I tell you, my heart thrills. When I feel in my life, in answer to my willingness for this self to be kept in the cross, I feel in my heart today the upward pull of Jesus, of a living Christ who died on the cross to save me from what I do and who lives in my heart to save me from what I am. For years, I settled for a half salvation. Forgiveness for what I do, but praise the Lord for deliverance from what I am by his new self living in me by his spirit. Now, just one more word and I'm through because I want to ask you, what do you think is your part in victory through the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, Surrender of your will into the hands of God. 
Romans 6, 13. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. God's word tells me that he can set me free from what I am. And for that purpose, his spirit lives in my heart. As long as I cease to resist him, he delivers me. But if I cease submitting, he ceases working. He goes out of business. When I say, no, Lord, all right, he departs. Doesn't go out of my life, but he goes out of business. And that halt in his operations is caused not only, not only by open rebellion, but also by the desire to fight our own battles, which is always the symptom of carnal Christianity. I've written in this portion in my Bible, Lord, save me from the tensions of trying to get my own victory. At the moment I do that, I'm just heading for defeat. Victory in every situation is mine because it's his. And it's mine if by faith I appropriate. Oh, but you say I haven't enough strength of will to maintain a constant submission. I surrender and then it happens again. I try and I give my heart to God and, well, it works for a while but not for long. Don't worry, my friend. I was speaking yesterday on that wonderful verse. Verse. It's his purpose to make your will strong, to will and to do his good pleasure. So I submit. And finally, I believe. I believe. I take him by faith, not by tears, not by striving, not by resolution, but by faith. And that requires a definite act as real and definite in a moment of your Christian life as it required for your conversion. You accepted pardon for past sins by faith. Have you ever yielded your life to the control of the Holy Spirit for present-day victory and deliverance over sin? That's the only foundation on which you can build. And if, if, if I could, but I can't, I would talk to you about the fruit of that life, which is seen in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Alan Redpath presented on The Christian Life at MBI Founders Week Bible Conference 1969 and 1982. Alan Redpath was a British evangelist, author, and former pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago during the 1950s. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.